Hey, welcome, uh, welcome back to Duke Basketball Junkies. This is uh, Michael Axel. I'm here with my broadcast partner, Peter Rowe. How you doing, Pete? What's up? How are you? Um, exciting day today. Very um, exciting. Got our second uh, player who's going to come on the podcast in the offseason and interview with us. Uh, this will be a trip down memory lane. Yeah. Uh, Ricky Price, who, for those of you who don't remember, came in as a McDonald's All-American, was a supremely talented swing like a like a three on the team uh incredibly quick uh dangerous on offense and pretty good defensive player sort of had a very up first half of his career all acc type of player as a sophomore maybe second third team right and then um but still as a sophomore that's he confronted some some issues later in his career where he, he kind of didn't go go out as strongly as he as he, as he came in but um, he was part of the recruiting class, Wojo, and Trajan, Trajan and him, uh, all three McDonald's All-Americans. Yes. We show up at the same time. Yeah. We were freshmen with them. And, uh, so he holds a special, that recruiting class holds a special place in, in my heart, in the, my history with Duke and yours. Yeah. Uh, so it's pretty, it's pretty exciting to, to talk to him. Um, you know. Yes. <laughs> so I, we're going to get to it. and uh, But we definitely have some, some things we'd like to talk to him about. I'm not sure how comfortable he's going to be, you know, sort of talking about some of the disappointing aspects of his career. Uh, but I do want to hear about Coach K leaving his freshman year. That yeah, year was one of the more memorable years in the program where we actually had a losing record the only year. Yes. Uh, no, no, not the only year. His first few years were... Well, the only okay. year, yeah, the only year for us since we, we went to do it. Sure. years since that was losing. Yeah, Coach K had a losing record the first two years, I guess. Two or three. Yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, uh, and I know he's he's still involved with basketball and seemingly doing yeah. really well. Based in Charlotte, still connected with the team. But if, if he was four-year time, he played between 94 and 98. Um, he was from California, very, very highly uh, rated recruit. Um, he was sort of like, you know, how we have freshmen come in as seniors go out. He was supposed to sort of replace Grant Hill, you know, six foot six, very athletic um, wing player, you know? Yeah, multi-tooled player. Um, Maybe not as tall, just, but still sort of like, like that. I don't remember being more, particularly more excited about any of the three guys than the others. They all yeah. came in for like, me. For me, pretty was, highly talented. For me, it was Trajan. No, no. I mean, when when they came in before we even saw them play, before we got to see them play, like I wasn't that aware of recruiting. I like loose. Somebody told me we had three McDonald's All Americans. Yeah. And I, I guess Ricky was maybe supposed to be the best of them. Um, yeah, I think he was. Certainly the most athletic and maybe the most sort of uh, just raw talent, like measurable athleticism. Yeah. Trajan ended up being like, you know, Trajan and Wojo had great careers. Ricky had, you know, scored a thousand points. So, uh, one of 75, I believe, scored a thousand points. Yeah. Unless that's outdated. And guys aren't scoring a thousand points anymore. Probably um, won't anymore. <laughs> and he was there four years, all, all four years we were there. So, uh, anxious to get to it. Yeah. So, uh, basically, I, you know, we, we exchanged some texts uh, earlier and he's uh, he's just been. You know, really easy to deal with, and we're excited to uh, speak with him. So let's do it. Let's do it. All right, we're gonna uh, we're gonna be calling Ricky now as soon as I get this uh, recording line set up. Should we text him a heads up? 
Yeah, just text him. All right, that's our recording. Let's add him on the call. This is Ricky. <laughs> hey, Ricky, it's uh, it's Mike from Duke Basketball Junkies. How you doing? What's going on, buddy? Ah, uh, not much. Just talking to one of my favorite players from back back in the day. <laughs> Peter is with me here. He's uh, my my little partner. How are you, Ricky? This is Peter. How you doing, my friend? Good, good. Yeah. Um, let me just set the things. We're recording. Thank you for doing this. Yeah. Thanks so much. Ah, uh, no problem. I uh, I do several of these uh, throughout the course of the year, and I actually enjoy them. Um, talking Duke, talking Duke basketball, talking basketball. Period. So. Uh, it's all good for me. Nice, nice. That's great to hear. You know, we we actually were your year. Uh, we came in in '94 and left in '98, so uh, we we were able to be there for for all four years of your career and go to all the games. Good so, stuff. Uh, Did you guys stay in Eden's Quad, or were you guys on East Boulevard or East uh, Campus, or what? Good question. Uh, we were in Pegram. We were dorm mates uh, freshman year. Where were you freshman year? You were in the new dorms. Uh no, I'm not that young. Uh, I was over in uh, West Campus, over off Eden's Drive, um, my freshman okay. year, and then okay. uh, obviously we went over to the uh, Central Campus Apartments uh, after that. Cool. So we'd love to hear about what you're, you know, what you're up to these days, and then we'll, we'll reminisce a little about the, you know, the, the mid '90s, and you know, saw that uh, you're running something called Game Ready Skills and Development. I'm super excited about that. Um, Six years ago, I started Game Ready Skills and Development Training, and uh, basically um, it's a skill development training program for kids ages 9 through 17, and uh, we just focus on the fundamentals, fundamental basketball, speed and agility training, basketball training, uh, work on on the ball, handling the shot, all the sort of nuances uh, so these kids can become good basketball players. Obviously, we're here in North Carolina where basketball is king, and, uh, you know, all these kids want to make their middle school team make their varsity team. They have hopes and aspirations of being a college player, maybe playing at Duke or Carolina, and then obviously playing in the NBA. Well, in order to do that, you know, you're probably going to have to have a pretty good skill set and pretty good guy-given talent. And what we do is uh, we cultivate that, and uh, it's been fun. Do you guys have an AAU? Is it like an AAU? Do you guys have teams that travel around, or is it, is it more just skills, skills training, like in-house? Well, yeah, I coached AAU for several years with QCAA, which is now Team Loaded, and uh, we coached a couple teams that uh, had some really good players on it, Um, uh, 5th, 6th, and 7th, 8th grade teams that all went to nationals and finished in the top 50. And then as 8th graders, we had a team that finished in the top three uh, nationally. That team featured um, Devon Dotson, who's uh, a top player at Providence Day. He'll probably end up going to Maryland or Kansas. Uh, Trey Wirtz uh, was on that team. He's at Providence Day as well. Uh, Vada Worthy and all these guys will be Division One players. So just to you know, see them grow from fifth and sixth, seventh graders to uh, where they are now is gratifying, knowing that we had a part in that. Hey, uh, real quickly, how did you how did you end up in Charlotte, uh, Ricky? Good question. Um, I love North Carolina. I knew that when I finished playing at Duke. Um, you know, after playing overseas basketball and professional basketball, that um, I want to live in North Carolina. I knew I, that I wanted to be somewhere close to, to Duke where people would still know and recognize me. I thought that uh, Durham Raleigh was, you know, too much of a college town for me. Charlotte right. is the biggest city here, and so I settled here. And uh, 
I'm glad I decided to do that. I, I like the city. I mean, it's great. It's great to hear that you're uh, you're so successful working with the kids and, and, and doing all that stuff. Um, is there anything you you know? I saw you run a summer camp, um, you know, as well in Charlotte this mm-hmm. year. Yeah, well, that's part of the whole training platform. I mean, we run a full-service basketball academy, so, you know, the uh, the physical training, the basketball training, we do camps, we do clinics, um, we do team-building programs, um, all things basketball. We're getting into starting to get into league play a little bit as well. We may do that uh, for this winter league coming up. So, you know, we're just trying to just trying to stick to what I know best, and uh, obviously basketball has been dear to my heart, and uh, – this new generation of kids is doing well, but, you know, the fundamentals, if you don't have that, you really can't move further in the game. Yeah, it is uh, definitely a lot different these days in terms of, like, the prep stuff, right? How does, how does it, what's, what's different nowadays with the guys who, you know, are coming into, you know, their, you know the big recruits and coming into big college programs versus, um, you know, what it was like back in your day? I know you're, you're, in a, you're a McDonald's All-American, so you you got – exposure to, to the highest level of it then. Is it is it different now? Um what about the Yeah, it's a lot different. Um, you know, I think that today's athlete is bigger and stronger and faster. I mean, um these kids are just built like grown men coming out of high school. I mean really they have NBA ready bodies, uh some of them do, um, coming out of high school. And then I think social media has, you know, played a huge part too because now, you know, there's just more exposure. A guy like Zion Williamson who's an internet sensation. He's a good player, but, I mean, he's you can quadruple what he does because of the internet play that he gets. I think LeBron was probably the first person to, you know, really break into that mode. And then now with Twitter and Instagram and YouTube and different things like that, I mean, you know, a guy can have a windmill dunk and then it could be viral in, you know, 10, 10, in 10 minutes. Yeah, and then uh, we get to follow – we can follow these guys on Twitter and try to read the tea leaves and where they're going to commit to and that kind of thing. Yeah, let me let me let me follow up on that. Um, I tend to downplay all those high school mixtapes just because they're all going to make the high school kids look fantastic. Do you do you mm-hmm. sort of take that same approach, or are you are you not that easily impressed by what you see? Yeah, uh, you know, obviously the coaching staff at Duke are good friends of mine. I played with Jeff and uh, I played with Nate. Obviously, Coach K and I still have a great relationship. And so I'm very in tune with the program and with recruiting. And Nate specifically, one of the things he talks about is he never watches a kid's mixtape, you know, because obviously in the mixtape they're making every shot. Everything makes them look good. And so you want to see full game tape. But the way things are now, I mean, if you want to get a, get the gist of who a player is, those mixtapes, you know, work. And then plus a lot of that is about getting views and likes. And so, you know, if, if a guy's mixtape is circulating around, you know, it's like, well, he must be pretty good because everyone's watching his stuff. A true basketball coach, a true basketball uh, eye can see who can play and who can. And, you know, we can pass the eye test with measurables and all that, but after about five to ten minutes, you can tell if a guy can really go. And uh, so, you know, you can't always rely on uh, the mixtape. Is there anyone in uh, recent memory who comes to mind who has like a, like a you know big reputation coming in, but the moment he stepped foot like on campus or you got to look at him in person, like you could tell, you know, he was a little overhyped. Anyone come to mind? Oh, well, you know, yeah, you see kids like that all the time. You know, in training sessions where you know they're two ball dribbling or the dribbling between their legs fifty thousand times and it looks really good, 
and you know they can do all these drills and go through cones and this and that, and then when you put him in a five on five situation, you know he can't play. You know he he, he can't read defenses. He can't you know uh, make the right play. You know his shot is not there. You know it's just a guy who just looks good. You know with the Showtime stuff. You know um, doing all the gimmicks and gadgets, and you know that's not basketball. Um, you know, and then there's some guys who can cross over and actually play a little bit as well. Um, but for the most part, you know, it's either one or the other. Um, you know, Kyrie Irving, I think, would look good in a mixtape, you know, doing all those drills, two-ball handling drills and stuff like that, but he can actually play. You know what I'm saying? And so it's just a little bit different. Yeah, we never know whether a guy's going to become, like, right away he's like Elton Brand who just dominates right away, or he comes in and he struggles and he has to kind of, get through the, a wall, you know, keep developing. I actually I actually hate to get sidetracked this early, but can I ask you real quickly your two cents on Kyrie and sort of divorcing LeBron right now? Like, what are your initial thoughts on that? Yeah, I just I couldn't quite understand it, you know, and I still quite I can't understand it. I mean, you know, yeah, I know sure. Kyrie, obviously, he's a Duke guy. Um, you know, why he would want to leave that situation is mind-boggling for me. Um, and I talked to a couple, you know, uh, guys that I played with at Duke and, you know, fellow basketball players, and we had these conversations. I think one of the things is is that Kyrie probably felt a certain type of way when he when his name was in trade talks. Right, right around draft time, before Paul George got, got traded, you know, Cleveland was in the mix, and his name was circling in trade talks. And I think he felt a certain type of way about that, and uh, especially after having the finals that he had and having the career that he's had. The fact that his name was being put in trade talks was was uh, was hurtful to him. Secondly, you know, I do believe that that Kyrie wants his own team, and uh, you know, he didn't really sign off on the whole LeBron thing, but it kind of worked out in his favor because LeBron, sure. you know, has been the best player for so many years. They get Kevin Love, and they're in the finals three consecutive years. Now, prior to that, Kyrie hadn't sniffed the playoffs, you know, playing with Cleveland. Lastly, you know, if 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 LeBron truly is going to leave and go to L.A. or some other team yeah. next year, I think it would be best if Kyrie just stayed and then the team becomes yours again after he leaves. But, um, you know, I think there's some bad blood there somewhere, and there's a couple yeah. things that have happened that maybe the public doesn't know about that, uh, you know, that's causing this. I, yeah, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. CGM getting, you know, not getting renewed. Yeah, maybe, maybe there was a personal relationship with, with him as well, but. Yeah. Uh, back back to Ricky though. Yeah, let's, back let's, to your, your college yeah. career. Yeah, if we can uh, go back in time, like a little bit over twenty years, can you talk a bit about your your recruitment? Um, I mean, I think I read that it came down to Kansas and and Duke. Uh, can you talk about what what moved you to Duke? Yeah, I mean, my recruitment was uh, was pretty heavy. Obviously, I was McDonald's All American. I was pretty much recruited by everybody, and uh, my final five was uh, Duke. Kansas, uh, Arkansas, Cal, and Arizona. And, um, you know, my final two, like you said, was Duke and Kansas. You guys have done your research. Obviously, Roy Williams was the coach of Kansas when I was being recruited, and he's a great guy. I mean, I still see him, and uh, we chop it up. And even though he's a Carolina guy, he's one of the one of the more authentic guys that's left in the game. And uh, I always have, have love for him. Uh, obviously, I didn't go to Kansas. I went to Duke, and it's really just because, um, you know, I thought that Coach K was the best coach in the country. I thought that Duke played in the best conference in the ACC. 
and I wanted to challenge myself. Obviously, my favorite player at the time was Grant Hill. That kind of helped, too. He was, my host, he was the host on my visit. And uh, I just felt comfortable, you know, in the in the environment, you know, at Duke. And uh, if I had to do it over again, I probably would choose Duke again. Obviously, academically, uh, Duke is a top five school in the nation. I graduated uh, with a major in sociology with a, with a minor in history. And so, uh, you know, even though I'm not <laughs> really using the degree in that way, hopefully if I ever had to go to a nine to five, you know, it would, it would, it would work in my favor having a Duke degree. I don't, I don't, I don't think either Mike or I are using our degrees either, but uh, just to follow up on that, is there a particular reason why UCLA wasn't on that list? Good question. I've been asked that a couple of times too. Both my parents went to UCLA and uh, that's actually where they met. And then, uh, uh, you know, they got married and they had me. And so the ideology was that I would probably go to UCLA, but I was the only child and uh, I just wanted to get away from home. I want to do something different. And not only that, but it was kind of crazy because, you know, my freshman year, we played UCLA at UCLA, and they beat us by 25, and then they go on to win a national championship. So had I gone to UCLA, I would have had a national championship. But Ricky, I specifically remember that game. We were down like 30, and Greg Newton had a crazy reverse tomahawk dunk, and we are down 30. And it was so funny on the way back, played defense. Exactly. And uh, they were just awesome, man. Tyus Setney, Charles O'Bannon, Ed O'Bannon, Toby Bailey, I've never seen a group of guys get up the court so fast. I mean, I consider myself a fast guy. I was always the fastest guy on our Duke teams. And, uh, I mean, trying to keep up with those guys in a fast-break situation was hell. And uh, you could just see, you know, how many pros and how they ran the fast break and how much pressure they put on you pressuring the basketball that they were going to win that year. And uh, I could have been a part of that, but I, I chose not to. Yeah, and uh, obviously your freshman year at Duke, our freshman year was uh... – Ended up being a little bit of a, you know, results-wise, a little bit of a torture fest, you know, an ACC play in the second half of the year. <laughs> we did. It was, it was such. It was the most memorable year of Duke basketball for me. All the games, like I can remember, so many of the Close. games, some of the heartbreaking losses. But uh, you know, if we can get into it a little bit, um, you know, what was it like getting on campus and sort of, uh, you know, the early part of the season was pretty successful. You were doing pretty well. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember the Michigan win. Uh, and, you know, we were ranked pretty high. Top top ten, start off nine and two, I think. Right before before Coach K went out. Can you talk a little bit about you know your freshman year and what that experience was like, sort of in the, in the beginning of it, and then uh, would love to hear sort of the story about when you knew Coach was going to leave and how it impacted you and the team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it was tough. Um, you know, obviously you come to Duke because you want to win. And uh, you see them winning, and you see the success they had, and then you get there, and then all of a sudden you're losing. And um, it was a tough pill to swallow. And like you said, a lot of games were, especially in ACC, we lost by, you know, four points, two points, three points, one point, all close games. And that has everything to do with coaching. And we just didn't have Coach K on the sidelines. I think when you lose by – uh, a small amount of, of points, you know, the coaching, having a good coach could swing that either way. Every and, game. Uh, when we, Every game came down to the end. Yeah, it was tough. And we were 8-2 and two, uh, with him on the bench, and then he comes in before practice and he tells us that uh, he's not going to finish the season and just to, you could hear a pin drop. And, you know, the morale was down. And it's just not the same. Duke is just not the same without Coach K. You know, sidebar, I feel for the next coach at Duke because those shoes are going to be so huge to fill. 
and you know when when he's not there it just it just doesn't work like it's supposed to and we saw that my freshman year we were 13 18 uh we didn't make the tournament you know ousted uh early in the AC tournament and i think uh it was sometime in early march and our season was over i mean that's unheard of and for me stability wise i lost a year i think because you know as a freshman you need that stability and coach K is usually that guy to give you that confidence and give you that, you know, the good lessons of uh, tough love and how to play, how to play hard, and what to do as a freshman, how to get through. And uh, with him not being there, it just was a struggle for me personally and obviously a struggle for our team. I felt for a guy like Cherokee Parks as well, who's a senior, and, you know, he probably could have been ACC player of the year if Coach K had, a, you know, had been back and was coaching us, you know. He had a great year. He actually played really well. Yeah, he averaged 20 and 10. He was a top 15 pick, but, you know, his year wasn't as good as it could have been. And uh, if he was better, we were better. If Coach is there, we're better. We're just a better team if if he's around. And, uh, you know, um, and so going into my sophomore year, not only did I have individual goals that I wanted to reach, but we had a team goals that we needed to get to quickly, you know, to get back on track. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't prevent you from uh, from sort of being a significant contributor. I think you were like you scored nine nine points a game as a freshman. We're like fifth on the mm-hmm. team in scoring uh, on a on a pretty talented Duke team with some other good freshmen coming in. You were one of the standouts. Uh, I'm just curious. Uh, Quinn Snyder's on the bench, right? Was, there was a lot of talent on that. Was, was Mike Bray. Well, I don't know how about tools. Yeah, Mike Bray. That's right. Nah, Quinn hadn't gotten there yet. We had uh, Tommy Amaker. We had Mike Bray. Obviously, Coach K, and then Coach Gaudet. Those were our. Those were our, that was our coaching staff my freshman year, and we got Quinn. Um, we got Quinn my sophomore and junior year. year. But yeah, throughout the time, though, know, we've had some great coaches. You know, obviously Coach K, but the assistants were were incredible too. Johnny Dawkins later on as well. Did it Did it just sort of snowball like in the second half of the year? Was there Was it really just like a you know, a confidence thing with the team. Um, could, is there any any specific memories or team meetings that sort of stand out to you? Um, no, nah, I mean, we had several, you know, player meetings. We had several team meetings. You know, Coach obviously, you know, was, uh, was away, but he was a part of things. You know, we'd have phone conference calls with him. Uh, guys would go to his house and visit, and he'd have some feedback. But it was more more of a shock. I mean, I, I think Duke hadn't experienced that in a long time. You know, um, losing great finals. Uh, it was it was a shock. I mean, we, part of the reason we went there is we get to watch Final Four basketball and all that. But um, after, after, well, that's part of the reason why I went there. I wanted to be a part of that. And so you know, to to be on a team that you know that was last in the ACC, uh, it was just a tough pill to swallow. But you know, um, for all the undergrads who were there and went to the game. You guys showed, I thought, a tremendous amount of heart all season. And the ACC was, it might have been the toughest year of all time in the ACC. A lot of tremendous players in the conference. Oh, my God. The ACC, that's what I tell people all the time. Like, ACC is the best conference now because of expansion, but the original right. ACC was an absolute beast. There were no nights off. I mean, Carolina had, you know, Rashid and Stack. You know, NC State had Todd Fuller, you know, Osh Benjamin. Georgia Tech, you know, with Travis Best and, then later, Stephon Moore. I mean, it was just so many Clemson. I mean, it was just so – Maryland had Joe Smith, who gave us 40 in the game-winning tip. 
uh, to beat us. I was going to mention the game with the tip by Joe Smith being one yeah. of the most heartbreaking moments. Heartbreaking. And Tim, Tim Duncan and Randolph Childress might have been the best thing. Oh, my God. How could you not? How could you forget him? You know, Tim Duncan, you know, one of the best players to ever play in the ACC. And so the ACC was absolutely no joke. And so, uh, you know, and there was no love lost. You know, Duke had beaten up on everybody for years, and then for us to have a down year, people relish that and people enjoy, you know, sticking our face in the sand. And um, it was something that, you know, we had to deal with. So what's interesting to me, one of the interesting things is, is we, we had really good assistant coaches who, who did go on to have really good coaching careers. We also had you had Jeff Capel, Chris Collins, Will Jahowski. You know, there's a whole list of guys that went on to be like, really good coaches. You're a coach, Ricky, right? Like, was there something about that experience that led, that inspired people to learn from, from it and, you know, draw from it to, to become coaches? Uh, it's just it's a strange concentration of, of coaching talent well, all right then going through that all together. You think that's, that's a good question. Um, but obviously some of those guys had, you know, lineage in their background already, like Jeff Capel, you know. Uh, Jeff Capel Sr. was a coach. He, they come from a coaching environment. He's always been around the game watching his dad as a coach. And, you know, as a player, the natural development for you when your career is done is three things. You either go into coaching, you go into broadcasting, or maybe you go into sports marketing. But you stay around the game. And for a lot of those guys, coaching is a natural uh, thing to do when the game is over. And the game can be over for you soon or it can be, o- be over for you, you know, after 10 you after having a pro year 10 career. You know, for Jeff and uh, and Chris, they didn't have the type of talent needed to play uh, at the next level. Um, and so, you know, coaching was the, was the next best thing. And I think they did a great job and a marvelous job. As you can see, they're, they're two great coaches. But Wojo's another guy. You know, he wasn't going to have a professional career, um, but coaching was a natural thing for him. And all those, all, all three of those guys, and Quinn Snyder and Tommy Amaker, they were all point guards as well. And, um, you know, as a point guard, you're a quarterback, you can see things, and uh, you just know where everybody's supposed to be. And then, you know, not only that, you know, you have a chance to play for and learn from the best coach to ever do it in Coach K. And so all those guys had advantages that they took full advantage of uh, and used uh, for their coaching careers. Some really good insight on on why those guys turned into coaching. But, I mean, Chris Collins, Dad, Doug Collins, also yeah. a coach. You know, makes, that makes a lot of sense. Are you, are you, mm-hmm. uh, do you still keep in touch with uh, with Jeff and Chris? They were Absolutely. Uh, you know, like I said, I have a great relationship with the with the program. Um, and so Jeff, you know, and I, we, we, we text throughout the year. I go to fantasy camp every year, which is probably the – one of the uh, the biggest times that I get used, you know, I'm all the former players are coming back for fantasy camp, and we have a chance to hang out and spend some time. And really, no point of the year are you going to see a situation where everybody can come back and be there at one time, because everybody's you know coaching and doing playing and doing different things. And so, um, you know, Chris, same way, I text him and let him know it was a good game. Wojo, obviously, uh, I was down in Marquette uh, last year for his 40th birthday party. Obviously, Chris Carrawell is my best friend. He's on the staff uh, at Marquette. And so it's, a, it's a still a close-knit family. And, uh, you know, we all played together. You know, no one could ever take that away. And even though guys are doing different things, you know, when we see each other, you know, we always want to catch up and uh, and give each other love. So, you know, that, that part I do appreciate about the Duke family. I have to ask you, follow up, and uh, 
you do keep in touch with all these guys, and you are, you know, in and around, you know, maybe not a college coach. Have you, have you thought about trying to, to break in with, on the college level? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, a couple of years ago there was an opportunity there. Um, John Shire uh, took the GA position. Before he took that position, that position was open, and I had some talks with uh, with, the, with the staff and about possibly doing it, but, I really like what I'm doing the game ready. It is an extension of coaching. It's more on a one-on-one, small group basis. Um, and plus, I'm my own boss, you know. Sometimes I think coaching is can be as cutthroat as being a player, especially from the assistant level. If you're at Duke, I think it's good because Coach K is there and you have a job as long as, you know, he's there. But when you go other places, I mean, you're on the clock immediately. And Wojo and Chris both had good seasons this year. But I'm telling you right now, as soon as they start losing and they put together two and three losing seasons, they're going to be on the clock and then, you know, possibly fired. That's just the nature of the game. And so I wanted to be in a situation where I was in control of uh, of my destiny. And, uh, you know, we have about 150 clients that we train. You know, I'm in control of the training session. I'm in control of everything. And uh, I can't get fired because I'm the boss. <laughs> so I guess, you know, I, I, I like to have, I like to kind of be in control of my destiny with that, but people ask me that all the time, and you know, maybe, maybe, and maybe if Chris or Nate, you know, get a job and they come to me and say they want, you know, me to be, you know, a bench coach on on their staff, you know, maybe I'll consider it. But it just hasn't been the opportunity, you know, for me, you know, to do that. Yeah, and then you know, I imagine you've got your fill of, of traveling, you know, in your post post Duke basketball career. Uh, those guys have to travel a ton for recruiting. They probably don't get to take. You know, vacations to Las Vegas. They get recruiting trips to Las Vegas. Um, I wonder- well, yeah, they do a little. Don't get it twisted. I mean, they still have fun when they can, and and that and even though that recruiting trip to Vegas is a recruiting trip, but when they're ninety games, those guys are hitting the golf course, and you know they're they're laying out, they're having some fun. But to answer your question, it's it's a it's a full time job, uh, especially from a head coaching aspect. You're the CEO of basically your own company. You got to run everything, and as an assistant, your responsibility is to skill development. Um, you know, make sure the players are better, make, make sure, you know, they come back better each and every year. You're watching them academically, making sure they're sound, making sure they're staying out of trouble. And then you're also recruiting, looking for the next best, you know, uh, thing coming through. And so, you know, it, it's not it's not easy. It's, it, it's a tough job. Hey, uh, Richie, can we talk a little bit about your sophomore year? Um, mm-hmm. Things started trending upwards. You were getting more time. You averaged 14 points a game, hitting close to 40% from three. Our memory is a little bit vague, but you did hit like a buzzer beater against Maryland, right? Yeah, that was probably the uh, best shot of my life um, <laughs> in terms of, uh, you know, just the timing of it, you know, the game winning portion of it. Yeah, corner three against Maryland. And uh, you could hear a pin drop in that place after I hit that. Oh, wow. That was a juicy moment. Yeah, we had a better year sophomore year. We, we got back to the tournament, and you, you were definitely one of the – the leading scorers, and it was, uh, but it was still like, like a, it was still like a work in progress, right? Like I think it was eight, eight and eight in the ACC. How did you feel about your game, and how did you feel about the team that year? What was? I'm curious to know when Coach Gay actually came back, and whether that was still sort of a strange year in terms of his involvement. Did it? Did it obviously, you did well, but I wonder how it impacted you and the team still at that point. Sure. Well, that was easily my best year as a as a uh, as a college basketball player. Uh, it's my favorite year, and you know I I just felt like I could play loose. You know we didn't have much of a bench. 
I was able to play, you know, 30 to 35 minutes a game, and I was really able to play my game, you know, with no restraints. You know, we had Jeff, myself, and Chris were our leading scorers that year, and we just, you know, we, we shot. We took a lot of threes on the perimeter. We penetrated and kicked. We ran the floor. We finished thir- uh, 18 and 13. You know, I was an all-ACC um, selection. And if I would have probably tested the waters, I probably could have been a first-round pick that year. Uh, it would have been late but if I would have tested the waters. But I wasn't thinking that way. Um, no one had left early at Duke at, at that point, not even Grant Hill or Bobby Hurley or Christian Leitner, who were clearly better players than me all stayed four years. But it was trending towards, you know, a Duke player leaving uh, early. And, uh, you know, I would have lo- I would have loved to have been that first guy to do it. I think after my sophomore year, I was a little bit scared. Uh, had I had I came back and had a good junior year, I definitely would have, you know, maybe tried to do it. And then, obviously, Elton Brand, my senior year, was the first guy to do it, um, you know, with um, – with, um, Will Avery. With Will Avery and, and McGetty and the rest of those guys in 1999. But, obviously, I played with uh, Elton one year uh, in 1998. But, you know, my sophomore year was was a great year, and it was – it was a foundation year, you know, obviously 13-18 as a freshman, 18-13 and 13 as um, a sophomore. I think we went like 26 and maybe 7 or 6 uh, as a junior and then, you know, 32-4 and four, uh, as a senior. And so, you know, we went from from ashy to classy <laughs> over a four-year span, uh, which was uh, which was pretty gratifying. I mean, that, that sophomore year was definitely a foundation year for the program. And, like, the, all those years building back from, from, from that freshman year, that begets all the success into the future, really. Um, was, was Coach K different when he came back? Was he was he limited? Um, and I, I wanted to also ask you, you know, when he, when he went out this year, did that give you flashbacks? It absolutely did. And seeing him go out the way he did this year reminded me exactly of, of what I felt um, as a freshman. And it was the hip, it was the back, it was a combination, it was uh, wear and tear. And I felt for those kids because, you know, we should have won a championship this year. We had a lot of talent. We had the most talent, I think. And had we had everybody healthy, I think we would have competed for a championship this year. But it just wasn't to be. And part of the reason why is because Coach, you know, missed those games. You know, we had Tatum and Giles and uh, and Bowden missed those games. And it's just a tough pill to swallow when it's not – together and it doesn't work according to plan. But that's basketball. It's tough to watch Giles not be able to be that guy from the mixtape, you know, because of injuries really. But even even Tatum, I thought, like, you know, he didn't get to play the first month or six weeks of the season. Like, he was great, but how much better would he have been if he was just healthy and the whole team could practice all year? Yo, the the preseason is huge. All those practices in the preseason and those preseason games, those games are huge, and they build confidence for you and they give you a good foundation of how the year is going to be, especially a guy like Marquise Bowden. I mean, if he has that, Giles the same way, if he has that, you know, now things are different. And, you know, I felt the same way, you know, for me as a freshman. I just didn't have – you know, that foundation, that backbone, I, I just thought I could have been so much better. Nine points is cool. I could have averaged 11 or 12 points had Coach K would have been there and gave me the toolage that I needed. I really feel that way. I mean, yeah, Matt, Matt Jones was on with us a little bit ago. He talked about Bolton because they, they went to high school together. And uh, you know, he basically 
said missing the, the early time. He wasn't able to integrate into the team, you know, the team play on the court, you know, even though he ended up being healthy towards the end of the year. Did, did you have some injuries junior year and or, so, or under senior year? I know, I know you had some games you had to miss senior year. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously, uh, you know, the arc of your career at Duke ended up like you, you didn't have as good a year, junior year, senior year. Um, mm-hmm. you know, if you mind talking a little bit about sort of why you think that happened or what led to it and um, – No, no, absolutely. I mean, listen – I mean, my my life, the way it's happened, it's happened for a reason, and there are always some heroic and memorable moments that you have, and then there's some bonehead and stupid moments about things that you did, and then there's some things where you just didn't play as well. That's just part of it. So I'm never afraid to, you know, to talk about my career at Duke. I mean, I think it was a pretty good one. Not great, but it was good. But um, my junior senior year was was difficult for me. Junior year, especially, just because of injuries. Um, you know, I I got hurt in the preseason where I broke my I broke my finger, and on my on my shooting hand, and it really hampered me, and it set me back. And so when I got back, um, I had a couple good games, um, but I just wasn't consistent enough. And you know, being a preseason All America, first team All ACC preseason selection. And so many people had high aspirations and goals for me, as did for myself. And I think being hurt as a junior hurt that. I think I only averaged nine or ten points um, as a junior, but far from the year that I expected, and uh, nowhere near what you know we needed to have. And had I been better, I think our team would have been better, and we would have had a chance to be a Final Four team, and not not a Sweet Sixteen team or or, or a, a thirty-two. Uh, Team. And then obviously my junior year. Exactly, exactly. And then they got beat by Arizona, and then Arizona goes on to win the whole thing. And so, you know, uh, and then I, I had some academic trouble. It started my junior year, and the punishment came as a senior. I was academically ineligible. And that really kind of derailed my career at Duke from being an NBA, you know, player because I didn't have a chance to play as a senior. And um, as a result, you know, I ended up having a rocky relationship with Coach that kind of lasted for about two to three years. Um, and, you know, since then, we you know, we've been best of friends and there's not a situation that I go through or that I, you know, have a situation where I, I don't call him. and like, this is a big move, Coach. What do you think about this? And he's there to advise me and, and, and help me and work with me. And we have a really good relationship now, but it wasn't like that. Uh, post my senior year, I really felt like they didn't handle my situation as a senior as best they could. And Coach would admit this if you asked them. You know, I felt like I should have redshirted um, my senior year so that I could have a full year and come back um, as a fifth-year senior, uh, kind of like what Trajan Langdon did. Obviously, his was a medical redshirt. Mine would have been something different. But obviously, they had Corey McGetty coming in, and they were stacked at my position. And so it would have been a log jam. So, you know, they opted to have me come back at the halfway point. Well, I was so far behind everybody else when I came back as a senior that, um, you know, I just wasn't able to compete for minutes um, on the floor. Obviously, this is a stacked team. You know, we got Elton Brand, Shane Battier, Will Avery, Trajan Langdon is back, Chris Carwell, Nate James. Um, I don't know if Chappelle had left by then, but we were just stacked. And uh, it was just tough to find minutes on that squad. And so I ended up dwindling away, you know, on the bench. 
And, um, you know, I had some sensational practices in February and March, but it just wasn't enough for me to break that rotation. And, you know, because of that bitterness that I had, you know, I just had a sour taste, you know, for the program, a sour taste for coach. And then one day, it might have been my third year out, you know, um, i never forget, I, we were in the locker room, and coach, you know, pulls me aside, and we went to one of the side uh, places uh, in the locker room, and we just had a conversation. And he said, Ricky, you know, if I had to do it all over again, you know, I would have uh, I would have redshirted you. You know, I just think that uh, there was no way that you could have done what we asked you to do in such, you know, the amount of time that we gave you with that at the halfway point, not being with the team the first part of the year. And, um, you know, when he told me that, it was like a, a gorilla, a 500-pound gorilla was lifted off my back. And uh, I appreciated it, you know, because it was him telling me, but because it was the truth. And, you know, he it was his way of telling me, you know, I mishandled it. You know, I wish I could have done things differently. You know, in my end, I told him, you know, before that even happened, I mishandled things, you know, by not taking care of business in the classroom and getting myself academically ineligible. Um, and so, you know, had I not put myself in that situation, you wouldn't have had to make the tough call of redshirting me and not redshirting me. And then after that, you know, I would say I would say our relationship has been pristine. Um, you know, I, I work with Duke Corporate Education, which um, <clears throat> Debbie Kay and Rachel Curtis run out of the Legacy Program. Um, so we do we've, we've done that for the past seven eight years. I'm one of feature coaches for those programs, and obviously Coach K kind of oversees everything from the top. And, um, you know, I go to seven, eight games a year. I spend time with coach before and after games. We go to the locker room and spend time and we talk about, you know, what we see and what we saw out there on the court. You know, they empower me to talk to current players now, and I, which I absolutely love. Like Matt Jones, he's my guy. I love Matt Jones. I've mentored that kid and talked to him just like Nolan Smith, just like Andre Dawkins, just like, Every kid that comes through Duke, I make sure that I touch them, you know, introduce myself, and then get a relationship. And then when those guys see me, you know, they look forward to seeing what I have to say. Grayson Allen's another one, you know what I'm saying, where they just like, oh, so, Ricky, what what I need to do? And I tell them, you know, because I've been there and done that. And so, you know, you need to handle yourself this way. And you need to play this way. When When you see this, you need to do this. And I think the good basketball players appreciate that. And so, you know, that's how I came full circle at Duke, you know, from, you know, being in coaches' good graces and playing well to playing even better as a sophomore to not playing well to being, being you know, absolutely terrible as a senior and not being able to get, you know, myself minutes to not speaking to anybody in the program, including coach, to, you know, being back, you know, cool again with coach in the program. And, and now it's like, you know, it's, it's a good, happy family. And I think um, in some situations, just like family members do, you know, sometimes you go through periods where you just don't get along and you don't see eye to eye. And I think that's how you can characterize, you know, my senior year at Duke. Um, and so I know that was a lot, but <laughs> that's kind <laughs> of it in a nutshell. Yeah, we appreciate the fullness and breadth of uh, of the answer. And to be honest, it's, it's, uh, it's Obviously, you've put a lot of thought into it, and it's, it's, it's something that's important in your in your history in the past, and you know some of which you learned from. So I'm I'm really glad that gorilla got lifted off your shoulders. 
we, we, we don't see what happens after the basketball career ends. Somebody comes in, they, maybe they transfer out of the program or their career ends up being not what we had hoped it would be as fans, and we're just left wondering what happened exactly sometimes. Um, I remember mm-hmm. you had this broken finger and couldn't find your, 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 your shooting range uh, junior year for part of it. Um, mm-hmm. We didn't really fully understand, you know, why you weren't getting more minutes as a senior. Obviously, the team was ridiculously loaded, you know, uh, really that year and the next few years. But um, so it's just great yeah. to have the answer. I mean, thank you so much for sharing because, like, we, we've always wondered. And, and I, I recall, I think if you could tell me, maybe like in 99, went to the Bryan Center, there was like a videotape of some students who had recorded the previous year's basketball season. And mm-hmm. I vaguely recall um, either during your senior banquet or there's like an exit interview, you, you mentioned stuff that you said just now that you were frustrated your senior year because it, it seemed like to you you were one of the better players in practice, if, if not, you know, one of the best players in practice. And that wasn't translating to playing time or to opportunities. And for, and for you to clarify that, it seems like um, it makes a whole lot of sense now. Well, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, you got to find your way. And, and the way you earn minutes on the court is in practice. And But unfortunately, only so many minutes in the game, only so many guys can play. Um, you know, Coach K is notorious for keeping his rotation around seven or eight, and that's what he likes to play with. And if you're just not in that seven or eight, no matter yeah. how good you are, it's just not going to happen for you. And I, guys to this day tell me, like, yo, you were one of the most unbelievable players that I've ever seen play a Duke. And that's including Jay Will and Grant Hill. But people remember, you know, the style of play that I had. And, you know, I scored over 1,000 points and didn't even play my senior year. That's crazy. You know what right. I'm saying? And but that's you, that's the type of talent, you know, that I had. But, you know, when you have a couple missteps and when you, you know, make a couple mistakes, they can be crucial. And, um, you know, I'm a great example of, now, I mean, it could have been a lot worse. I could be on drugs or, you know what I'm saying, I could be, you know, uh, in jail or something. Those things didn't happen for me. But, you know, the NBA career that I probably should have had uh, didn't happen for me, and and it all stems back from, you know, moments of of being ineligible as a senior. And uh, it just it's it's a great example of how one decision could, you know, can – could derail your career. And obviously I played overseas for nine years and I had a pretty good professional career, but it wasn't what it probably should have been. And, um, you know, I don't regret that. You know, these are things that happen. I obviously am doing pretty well for myself uh, now, but, you know, this is also a good story for me to tell the kids that I train each and every day about decisions, you know, that you make and impact your life and for years to come. And so who better to, share those things and someone like me who's been there and done that. Absolutely. And we're glad you, you get to share that experience with the, the players that come in and maybe if, you know, they're they're facing an obstacle and then you can you can let them know about, you know, your experience. And I uh, really, you know, as I've learned in my life, you make mistakes, you learn from them and overcoming obstacles, dealing with them, dealing with your own not everything is always a success. You know, it, it, you grow from it. And it sounds like you know you've done a lot of you know, a lot of growing. You have a lot of wisdom about it these these days, and uh, it's great you have such perspectives, and you're able to um, to incorporate it into what you're doing today. And it's 
great to hear that Coach K kind of unprompted pulls you aside. That, that's pretty cool. Yeah, because I'm sure, I'm sure you were thinking in, internally or mentally that maybe you're looking at it wrong until he actually told you that I, I made a mistake. I should register at you the senior year. Well, see, and that's and that's the that's that's the time. That, when you're a good person and when you're a quality individual, you don't just point the finger at everybody, you know, because when things happen and you're involved, you probably played a part in it. And so I definitely played a part in it. I got myself in that situation by not taking care of business academically. Um, and then when I got back, you know, maybe I'm not in the type of shape I need to be in or whatever. But I thought the coaching staff played a role in as well as, as how they handled the situation, either with me redshirting and then, having me come back and then playing me, you know, when needed. You know, there was a game that we lost, you know, against Kentucky, um, oh, who goes on to win the national championship. That's my senior year. Uh, we're up, you know, 18 with six minutes to go. And, you know, they just start bombing threes left and right to get back in the game, and eventually they end up beating us. You know, in a, in a game like that, maybe maybe you put me out there and to guard Wayne Turner, who was slicing yeah. our defense yeah. up left and right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Bojo, every possession. Oh, my God. He, I mean, I love Bojo. That's my guy. But he was getting absolutely destroyed by Wayne Turner. But if you throw me out there, which I've done in the past on guys like Terrell McIntyre and and um, and uh, Stephon Marbury, coach used to always put me on the bigger or better uh, point guards, you know, just to slow them down. You know, maybe if I'm in there for a little bit, maybe we stop the bleeding on that run. Now, it can go either way. Maybe we're just destined to lose anyway. But at the end of the day, that never happened. And, um, you know, it's just it's a, it's a tough pill to swallow, you know, as a, as a player. It's amazing you bring that up because before we talked to you, we were like, should we ask him if he felt like he should have guarded Wayne Turner down the stretch yeah. after the Kentucky game? And, like, he must have been thinking on the bench, put me in there, I'll get I'll – get. And, 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 Ricky, let me, let me follow up. Like, you know, obviously Coach K is – if he's not the greatest, he's he's one of the greatest, which, you know, sort of makes him above critique. Um, but how – how like, you're, you're sort of, you know, analyzing his strategy in, in the game. Um, I, I think back to uh, 1999 – uh, Duke had the ball with maybe three or four seconds left, and he gives the ball to Trajan, who's not a ball handler, to dribble the entire length of the court and then get his own shot, which he's also not really that great at, at doing. And then he yeah, I mean, you know, a, a lot of the stuff that happens in coaching, you know, and a coach will tell you this: well, he'll, he'll he'll they'll design a play, and it doesn't quite work out that way. Sometimes you'll get the win, and sometimes you don't. Um, you know, listen, you know, coach. Coach is going to have to live with a couple of the mistakes that he's made coaching. You know, he has five titles. Does he have five titles or four titles? Yeah, five yeah we got five. <laughs> yeah, he has five titles. Yeah, but have, I, but... I believe, I believe we should have won that game you're talking about in 1999. Yeah. And I also believe we should have won the game against Arkansas in 1994. I wasn't on that team, but he really should have seven titles. Uh, you know what uh, I'm saying? And so these probably... are these are things that you have to live with because of coaching decisions that you made or didn't make throughout the course of the game. But overall, the body of work proves, based on the wins and the Final Fours and the national championships and everything else, that he has done his job. At the end of the day, you can't win every time. And there are going to be, there, there are going to be mistakes that are going to be made throughout the course of the game. And like you said, I mean, I don't think anyone's above critique, but, you know, he's accomplished so much that, you know, you kind of give him a pass on decisions that are made. But in true real-life situations, 
sometimes the game just flows a certain way and you can't really step in and control what happens. In an ideal situation, Will Avery has the ball and he pushes the ball and he penetrates and he kicks the Trajan, he can knock that shot down. But it just didn't happen that way. Or, or maybe in instructing Brian Zubek not to miss so that Gordon Hayward could only tie the game instead of beat, beating Duke in that, with that half-court shot. Absolutely. Now, me and you can on your podcast can do this all day as a Monday night quarterback, as a Monday quarterback, you know, given, you know, you know what happens. But just right. like yeah. against, against Maryland, you know, he didn't diagram me to hit the last second shot against Maryland. The play was for Wojo, you know, to penetrate and then find somebody. And Wojo did that. I think Johnny Rhodes made a crucial mistake by leaving me, and he found me, and I knocked the shot down. And so now everyone's thinking that, oh, my God, Coach Dalgram, that played for Ricky. That shot down. Now, in reality, you know, that wasn't the case. You know, it just worked out that way. And, and we ended up winning the game, and everybody looks good as a result. Hey, hey Ricky, can I ask you uh, one other question about practice and, and, and how playing well in practice translates to playing time? Um, you know, like, say, for example, Grayson Allen, his freshman year, when he played, you know, he, he put up 30 against Wake Forest. It looks like he's got a beautiful outside shot. It looks like he can jump out of the out of the roof. Uh, it looks like he's built like a tank. You know, th- that guy doesn't play. Marquise Bolden doesn't play this year. Uh, Michael Benajay, Sammy Ojale, all these all these talented guys don't play. Do the best players play in the game? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, you know, obviously, coach, you know, has an eye for what he's looking for. But again, there's only enough. There's only a certain amount of minutes in the game. And if your rotation is around seven to eight guys, which is a good rotation, I would say most coaches go from eight, maybe nine players. No right. coach really goes deep into a nine-man rotation. Usually they're around seven, eight, maybe nine. Coach is no different. And so now, even if you have good guys, say my freshman year, uh, we had seven or eight McDonald's All-Americans. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so every year that you have McDonald's All-Americans. So you got guys that are sitting on a bench that are McDonald's All-Americans, you know, like Chase Jeter and Marquise Bolden and, you know, guys like that. And so it's just tough to find minutes. You have to break into that that first seven. And if you don't, you're going to find yourself in trouble. And it has nothing to do with Grayson. I think Grayson was good, and he played well. Um you know, and he gave us, you know, good. Was this, what is it? His freshman year that he, uh, that he gave us those crucial minutes against Wisconsin. Yeah, he only won the national championship game when it counted. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And so, and what that did was that set the stage for him to have a monster sophomore year. And so, you know, we ended up winning the title without Grayson playing significant minutes, but it set the table for Grayson personally having a monster year. And I thought he probably should have left to go to the NBA that year, but that's a whole other story. But you know, it is what it is. And so, you know, yeah. you just got to find you got to find ways how to break into that rotation. I think coaches' best teams weren't the teams that were stacked and had 10, 11 guys. I think his best teams, you know, had six guys that could really play. Yeah, he really does kind of keep it down to six or seven these days a lot of the time. And we're always kind of rooting for the, the guys on the, the bench who have talent to kind of get some minutes at least early in the season, middle of the season, so they'll be ready in case they need them at the end. But, you know, it's a, it's a big second-guessing game. And Coach K makes so many decisions. He has so much talent to juggle that, of course, it's always going to look like. Of course, there's going to be some discipline. Yeah. Really and, talented players. And, you know, the guys that don't get on the court feel like they should, they're in good company. 
you know, there's a lot of really good players. Uh, we were keeping you super long. We really appreciate it. Uh, we, we didn't intend to, to make you talk to us for a whole hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, once you know, once we get into you know talking hoops, man, I do this all the time. It just it just goes in different places, and I, I enjoy this. I mean, you know, I do radio shows. Um, I do uh, corresponding with uh, with Raycom, correspondence with uh, WCCB here in Charlotte, and people are always inviting me to you know talk hoops and talk uh, talk basketball, do basketball, college basketball, and so. You know, I'm yeah. as real as it gets. I, I try to shoot you straight and try to give you honest answers and maybe even some insight that maybe um, that you didn't have from a fan perspective. So, uh, you know, sure. I, I, I enjoy it. If you don't mind, maybe we can check in with you during the season at some point or, you know, uh, get get some insight about about what your thoughts on the team is. Absolutely. another really interesting year. Um, no, almost nobody back except for Grayson. Uh, no one has played a lot of minutes. Yeah, well, you know, this year um, it's going to be different. You know, it's definitely going to be there. Trayvon Duvall, let me just tell you right now, he's unbelievable. I okay. mean, he is he is awesome. Have you seen him and, play? Uh, you, you laid eyes on him? It wasn't just from a mixtape? Uh, I've seen him play on TV before, and then I've seen, you know, some stuff on, on, on online about him. And then obviously sure. I've, you know, done my research talking to Nate and some – and some of those guys, and, you know, he's a true point guard. He's incredibly athletic. Uh, he's shifty. Um, you know, he can uh, he can really, really pass. And he's the type of point guard that we need. Every time that we win, we have a true point guard. And uh, the only time we haven't is that 2010 team that had John Shire and Nolan Smith. They share responsibility. But, you know, the time we've had true point guards handle the basketball. Another guy that I'm really – I can't wait to see – is uh is 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 Gary Trent, you know um he's just a he's just a junkyard dog, and you know, he's not going to take any shit. He's just going to he's going to get after it. Uh, Hard nose. Nah, I think Trajan was a little bit more graceful. Um, he's definitely more athletic than Trajan was, but Trajan was one of the greatest shooters of all time at Duke. He doesn't shoot it as good as Trey does, um, but he's I think he might score it better than Trey does. Um, but you know he's going to be you know sensational. And then, you know, what I really want to see is what they do with Marvin Bagley. You know, I, I think that if he reclasses into this into this particular um, recruiting cycle, I think we have a great chance of uh, of getting him. And uh, yeah. how is that going to work with Wendell Carter, who is another absolute animal who I can't wait to see. Uh, he dunks the ball like Chris Webber did in college. If you remember Chris Webber at Michigan, you know, dunking yeah. like it was a Nerf ball. Wendell Carter puts you in that same mind frame of just how he just, with so much power, finishes at the rim. But, you know, will they take Marvin Bagley, you know, um, in this recruiting cycle? And how would that, you know, how would that fare? I mean, if Coach K can, can add a talent like that, there's no question that he's going to do it. But what, how will that change that the dynamics? Are you hearing, do you have any insight? Is that likely to happen? <laughs> uh, I know he likes Duke. Um, obviously, I think he likes Arizona as well. and He likes USC. I think it's just going to come down. To Duke and USC, if I if I put my money on it, um, you know he he may end up going to USC. I think he should come to Duke and just come in 2018 and just spearhead that class. But Marvin Bagley's so good, I think his thought process is that you know what can high school basketball do for me anymore? Yeah, they're saying he's the number one pick, most likely, and then RJ Barrett right. just reclassified and Duke's on his list. It's uh, all it's just amazing how kinetic 
the situation is with recruiting these days. Right. I don't. I don't think we'll get R.J. Barrett, but I think we got a great chance of getting uh of getting um of getting uh, Marvin Bagley. There's no question about that either this year or next year. Uh, he likes Duke. There's no question about that. Uh, will he? Will he? Will he make the leap and reclassify? You were talking about Trey Duvall. Is there a particular player he reminds you of? He reminds you of that Ooh, Yeah, I mean, he has a lot of – he's got a lot of Derrick Rose and Westbrook in him, you know, that type of athletic point guard. I mean, you know, there are a couple guys that come through every once in a while that are just – Steve Francis was like that, just an incredibly athletic point guard, you know, and uh, Trayvon Duval is like that. Uh, he gets to the basket, you know, he's shifty. Uh, he can really, really pass. So I would say, you know, yeah, he finishes – high above the rim. I don't think he shoots it as well um, yet, but, you know, with uh, some work, I think I think he, he can. Is his first step as quick as yours was? Uh, I don't know about that, but I think his handle is, is surely better than that. He has a little bit of Kyrie Irving in him, too, um, with his uh, with his handle. So he, I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to see him play. I mean, you put him and and Bagley together with Wendell Carter. I mean, that's going to be just ooh wee. I can't wait for that. Almost unfair, but we we actually thought that you know one year ago. Yeah, we thought last year too. Yeah, man. I mean, I was my feelings were hurt. I was in Greenville for the game uh, versus South Carolina. It was it was tough to watch that team implode like it did. But uh, you know, it was just. It was one of the most dysfunctional teams I'd ever seen us have, um, you know, and I was very in tune with the program, what was going on in practice, and I, I went to a couple of practices, you know, I went to several games, and we just never had everybody together at the same time. And then when we did, it wasn't long enough, you know. It takes time to gel as a team, you know, and get chemistry and all that. We just never had a chance to do that. Having, having people healthy, you know, was pretty important, I think, that turns out. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I like that they bring him in early in the summer. They didn't do that when you when you were coming in, right? You didn't come in. Then. Nah, nah. I think guys got here right around school started. Um, in my freshman year, I was uh, playing with the Junior Olympics team. We were in Argentina, winning the gold medal, and so I got to school late actually. Um, so, yeah, I mean, having those extra extra moments, you know, um, those extra weeks, you know, it, it just helps. And this team is going to go to Dominican and play, and so now they have. They were afforded extra time and extra practices to do that. And so, I mean, that just bodes well because in October, you're not starting in October. You've already really started. And so, you know, it's just, this is better. So, last, last, last question, and then we'll let you go. Uh, it's okay. I, we, I, I intended to ask you about your, your pro basketball career after Duke, and we probably don't have time to, to go into it. There must be so many ins and outs of it. Um, you know, if you could kind of sum it up, give us a couple of the highlights. I know you. You know, I know I saw you play, I think, in Summer League, and you were in some NBA training camps. Uh, you've mentioned you played a lot overseas. Uh, can you touch on that just for a minute or two? And then, um, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I had a nine-year professional career overseas. Uh, for the most part, I had a um, summer camp with um, Summer uh, League with the uh, Orlando Magic, uh, Miami Heat, and then I got the vet camp, training camp with Detroit and was the last pick for them. I think that was in 2000, 2001 or something like that. And so I spent primarily most of my time overseas, um, two years in France. I played in Slovenia, Amsterdam, uh, China, um, you know, you name it, passport full of stamps. And what was gratifying about that is that, you know, 
had I not been hooping, I probably wouldn't have had a chance to, you know, see these places. And so I'm very thankful that, you know, I was able to, you know, see these places because of the game. And, um, you know, I'm, I had a pretty good career. I mean, you know, it's pretty good averages, and, and I was very, very close to making the NBA as a free agent. It just didn't happen. And um, But, you know, all in all, you know, I, I can I can sleep I can sleep well tonight saying that you know I I got the most out of my basketball experience. I wish I wish we'd be able to see you play some some of those uh, overseas games. We never got to really see you play you know, outside of some. I think I saw you play on an All Star team, like a California team at one point, mm-hmm. uh, maybe five years after Duke. But um, you know we didn't get the chance to see that. I wonder if the uh, the D League was available back then. If that's something that would have helped you. Um, you know, it's, it's an interesting opportunity the guys have today don't quite get drafted or, you know, the, the rosters are bigger nowadays in the NBA as well. Yeah, we had that. It was called the CBA back then. And I played, you know, uh, two years in the CBA as well, um, you know, just bouncing back and forth trying to get that call up. And it's tough. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, the trade-off from playing overseas is making great money and, and you know, you know, setting yourself up for a good living. And then you play in the CBA or NBDL, the trade-off is, you know, staying stateside and being seen by, you know, the NBA teams. And so that's a tough decision. But now it's easier with those two-way contracts that they have now. And, you know, guys like Quinn Cook are able to, you know, know, Steph Curry are able to go, you know, to the D-League and put up numbers and then get seen and then, you know, get signed to deals, you know, in the NBA. So um, it's just good. Ricky, is there anything you want to talk about? Or you want me to talk to you out, right? (laughs) Uh, nah, I think we I think we covered pretty much everything. Um, like I said, you guys have my information. Yeah, don't hesitate. You know, plus you guys are Duke guys, so I'm always gonna give you the heads up and you know give you the uh, preferential treatment uh, on interviews and stuff like that. And just let me know, man. I, I love to I love to talk about the game. I love to uh, obviously promote Game Ready, the Game Ready brand, and then um, you know talk about you know Duke and yeah, Duke so- basketball. Ricky, your, your insights were fantastic. I mean, it was like gold. We really appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, for anyone in the Charlotte area that has a kid who wants to develop their game, they they know who to call, I guess, right? They can go to your Absolutely. Website. You can uh, you can see us at, uh, at GameReadySD.com. All the information is there, uh, schedules and uh, bios of coaches and everything is there. And, uh, you know, we just want to, you know, elevate your game and, and, and hope you reach all the aspirations and goals through basketball. If you want to learn some some amazing looking spin moves, and Chris uh, <laughs> first said you had the prettiest spin moves, man. It's uh, it, was, it was a pleasure to watch you play at Duke, and uh, you know to be your classmate. And uh, we appreciate having you come on. Yeah, and uh, we'll, we'll definitely be in touch. Thanks so much, man. Absolutely. All right, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, wow, that was great. That was uh, gives everything you wanted. We didn't, you know, get into some of it because he gave just. Long, good answers to questions, right? Just amazing content. Yeah, very, very candid. Candid, uh, insightful. Yeah. You know, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ricky Price, cool. Good dude. He's, he's awesome. He's like a, a lifer. He's like one of the guys you see at the Vegas Summer League, guys who just love basketball, love talking, loves sharing. Yeah, I want to hang out with him and talk basketball. What's what's struck me the most about him is just um, you know how at peace he is, like almost zen. You know, like yeah, he had a very balanced yeah, perspective. I mean, he could certainly have a different perspective about life and how you know things are, but he's very 
Very zen. Well, it sounds like he had 10 years or nine years, he said, of a, to, to reflect on a lot of these things and a lot. What, maybe, just maybe two or three years of just deep-seated bitterness. A little bit. Well, I don't know. He said he didn't talk to anyone in the program. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's, you know, like, that's, you know, it's, yeah, it was a hard pill to swallow, I think, what happened, Yeah, and, uh, you know, the disappointment about, you know, if you do get drafted, if you're a first-round pick, whether or not you really become successful in the NBA, you you get a three-year trial, you get the same coach, you get the off-seasons as the player, the stability, and what I've been able to gather from listening to things or reading Paul Shirley's book or, um, you know, Australia. he wrote a book about being a journeyman, uh, a really good book, a lot of stories about Europe, training camps, little stints in the NBA. Okay. And, like, it's just much, such an advantage to be with a program, to be with a team, rather than sort of never know where your next check's coming from, where you're going to play in three months. You know, these foreign deals are usually one-year deals or even three-month, six-month deals. And... Not having the stability in your life to train consistently in the same place with the same staff. NBA, NBA facilities and staff are just super high level, and a lot of times they aren't overseas. Uh, you know, if we get some more time with them in the future, maybe we can sort of get into some of the, the, those details. But um, you know, he had so much to say about his time at Duke and about the program. It was uh, we didn't we didn't really get around to the his. The nuts and bolts of his foreign career. Yeah, um, you know what? What else really struck uh, struck me regarding his conversation was, you know, he, he goes to the two or three years where he sort of um, doesn't have contact with the program, and then Coach K brings him in. So, you know, I don't know if uh, apology is probably like too strong of a word, but he said, "Look, we made a mistake. We should have registered you your senior year." And, you know, Ricky has the maturity to not say, yeah, you really screwed me up, you know, but he has the maturity to say, well, I did it to myself, you know, like I made a bunch of mistakes and you wouldn't have even had that decision if, if, if I didn't have yeah. that. Well, it's clear he had a lot of, still had a lot of reverence for him. Yeah. It's a reason he came to Duke. Right. He stayed all four years. He had a lot of good moments as well, a lot of success. And he did have a pro basketball career, which is more than you can say for him. And a lot of guys don't, don't, like nine years means he was pretty good, yeah. right? And he, you know, he said he put up some numbers, I believe him. Uh, you know, it's hard to do. So if, if Shav Randolph yeah. just recently put up 32 and 14 in China, I'm guessing Ricky Price in his prime probably put up. And he said he put listen, up good numbers, right? Listen, there's different strengths of foreign leagues. Like there's A leagues, B leagues, C leagues. I'm sure there's even D leagues. So, um, who knows what? It's hard to interpret foreign stats. Twenty-eight points a game is my guess. Oh gosh, who knows? But um, I know there's like a limit to how many Americans a lot of leagues can yeah. have on their rosters. At least they're used to be. Yeah. But uh, you know, good for Shav. I'm glad Shav's still playing basketball. And well, guess what? He's one of the best thousand players in the world at basketball. <laughs> and Ricky Price is one of the best. You know. 500 players in the world of basketball. Like, it's such a razor's edge. Yep. Like, as to whether you make it or not. I guess my point is, if he had, if he had put himself in a situation to get drafted, he would have had an NBA career. He for probably sure, wouldn't have been for, all for sure. Anything, if, but, if, if Ricky Price yeah. came out in in our era, it would have been totally different. You know, he would have played one or two years and then he would have left for sure. 
Yeah, he would have got the chance to develop in yeah. a situation. He's, he's very honest about saying, like, he thought about it after his sophomore year, but he was scared. Yeah. Like, just really, just really so, honest. But should we ask him that? Like, everything yeah, we kind of wanted to maybe ask him, was, he just brought up himself. Yeah, like, just, you know, he, he he's very self-aware. Like Of all the eggshells that people who want to have a conversation with him are typically going to be tiptoeing around, like... Sure. I mean, I mean when he, we were talking before this, we're like, eh, how should we do this? Should we even bring this up? And he was just totally upfront and candid and honest. Yeah, and um, you know, I, I, I like I like the way he thought about everything. It was really uh, it was really a pleasure listening to him. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that went well. I mean, I was thinking maybe we're we're going to be so bad at these interviews, but we just won't do very many of them. Uh, it was such a good experience. Now I'm excited to maybe talk to someone else. I'm looking forward or to maybe we'll our only, second Ricky Price interview. Maybe we'll only interview. We'll only have Ricky. I mean, we'll have to, uh, maybe I can sub. You can he can sub in for me, and I think you and him would do a really nice podcast for me and him. You know, if you want to exit, you know, that's the problem. If we have too good of a guest, it can make us look bad. <laughs> we, we, I think we do a pretty good job. Of that, you know, uh, okay. so we don't need any help.